Let me invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 136. And this morning, as the scripture that will be preached is read, I'm going to invite you to read it with me. You may need a copy of the Bible from the pew there. I will read the first line, and you will see very quickly which part you are to read. At the end of every verse, His mercy endures forever. So, let us read God's Word together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who by wisdom made the heavens, To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his mercy endures forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage. For his mercy endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant. For his mercy endures forever. Who remembered us in our lowly state. For his mercy endures forever. And rescued us from our enemies. For his mercy endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh. For his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. For his mercy endures forever. Amen. Let me invite you to be seated. Let's pray together. Now, O Lord, we pray that as we reflect on Your Word, that at the close of this calendar year, we may indeed remember that Your mercy endures forever and that we may be reminded of the glories the pinnacle of the glories of how your mercy endures forever to your people. And that is Christ, our blessed Savior. By your Spirit, help us, we pray now, in the preaching of the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps a fitting question at the end of reading such a lengthy passage of Scripture together is the question, can you ever say thank you enough? 
here at the close of this calendar year, which happens this year to fall on the Lord's Day, we find ourselves in a passage of Scripture where the Lord's deeds are recounted. It's as if the history of the people of Israel is laid out and refrain after refrain after refrain, we are told that the mercy of the Lord endures forever. Perhaps, like me, you've spent a little time this past week reflecting on this past year. Or perhaps, like the psalmist, you've spent a little time reflecting on your past life. It's very fitting for us to journey through a passage of Scripture which takes us on the roads of God's providence and at each point reminds us that His mercy was there. That His mercy was here, it was there, it was here, it was there. In the painful times and in the good times, in the blessings and the seeming frowning providences of our lives, God's mercy to His people is forever. Now, I want us to walk through this passage of Scripture briefly together this morning. Firstly, before we look at its various verses, I want you to see two things at the beginning. Firstly, notice, boys and girls, that at the opening and the closing of this psalm, Psalm 136, there is the same idea, giving thanks to the Lord. Look at verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Look at verse 26, oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Thanksgiving for who God is and what He's done along the journey is really what marks the beginning and the end of this psalm. But secondly, notice the steady refrain, and you perhaps noticed it as I ask you to read it with me. Notice the steady refrain of the phrase, for His mercy endures forever. At the end of every single verse, that phrase is there, for His mercy endures forever. That word mercy is a Hebrew word which is worth remembering, and that's the Hebrew word chesed. Sometimes it's translated steadfast love, covenant faithful love, or just faithfulness. This translation renders it mercy. It's a varied term, but it is a term used throughout the entirety of the Old Testament to talk about the goodness and faithfulness and love of our covenant-keeping God, Yahweh. So giving thanks at the beginning and the end of the entire journey and every step of the way, God's faithfulness, His steadfast love, His mercy is laid out. Now before we leave this phrase, for His mercy endures forever, this doesn't just seem to be a pattern in Psalm 136. It seems to be a pattern throughout the worship of the old covenant people. You can turn there with me if you like, but let me just give you a sampling of this. First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 16. You remember, boys and girls, King David, someone who knew God's mercy very well. In First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 41. The people are gathered together. The ark is placed in the tabernacle. David sings a song of thanksgiving. And then notice what is written in 1 Chronicles 16. 
Picking up in verse 37, so he left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom, with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of Jethduthun and Hosah, to be gatekeepers. And Zadok, the priest, and his brethren, the priests, before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly, morning and evening, and to do according to all that was written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. And with them, Heman and Jeduthun, and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. We see the second Instance of this in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 3. Now David's son Solomon dedicates the temple. And notice what happens in Second Chronicles 7.3. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. We won't turn there, but in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21, Jehoshaphat does the same thing. People chosen by kings simply to lead in the praise and thanks of God because His mercy endures forever. The Baptist scholar of the 1700s, John Gill, says this about our text. In it is, for His mercy endureth forever. This is the burden of the song. And the design of it is to show that all blessings of every kind flow from the grace, goodness, and mercy of God, which is constant and perpetual, and to impress a sense of it upon the minds of men. Now it is our frailty, it is my frailty that we read Psalm 136 and by verse 26, we might sometimes get a little tired of saying the same phrase over and over again. Why, O Lord, give us a passage of Scripture with at least 26 repetitive phrases of the same thing? I think Gil is right. It's almost as if the Lord God wants us to remember that at every turn of our lives as His people, His mercy has been there. Think about this past year, friend. Think about how God's mercy, His steadfast love, His faithfulness, has surrounded you in good times and in bad times. Things prayed for and now seen. Things unexpected. The soul of one that you loved gloriously saved. God's provision in the midst of death and tragedy. His mercy endures forever. Well, our psalm opens with a threefold recognition of God, doesn't it? Verse 1 says that God is good. Verse 2, we see this, give thanks to the God of gods. Boys and girls, the, the psalmist is not saying that there are many gods and that our God just happens to be the greatest. No, the psalmist, which many people think to be David, is saying that God is God. And of all the gods of the world that are false gods, our God is the true and living God. And in verse 3, not only is he thanked because he's God and because he's good, but because he is Lord or Master. 
He rules and reigns. He's not the God of the deists, the God who created all things and then sort of stepped away. No, moment by moment, molecule by molecule, our God is Adonai. He is Master. He is Lord. Well now, as we've seen the beginning, let's just note three things and we're finished. This psalm gives us at least three different categories for praising and thanking God for His mercy. The first one is this, in verses 4 through 9, we see the mercy of creation. The mercy of creation. Look there at verse 4. To Him who alone does great wonders, for His mercy endures forever. And then we're given a list of those great wonders. To Him who by wisdom made the heavens. Verse 6, to Him who laid out the earth above the waters. Verse 7, to him who made great lights. Verse 8, the sun to rule by day. Verse 9, the moon and stars to rule by night. We see firstly the mercy, the faithfulness, the steadfast love of our God in creation. Verse 4, the psalmist writes that God does great wonders. He's singing in concert with Job of old from Job 9 verse 10. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. Verse 5 speaks to the wisdom of His creation. It begins in verse 6 with where we live, boys and girls, the earth. To Him who laid out the earth above the waters. And that language sounds a little bit like Genesis. God separating the dry land from the waters. But just think about the wonders of creation for just a moment. Boys and girls, think about this. It's not good to look in the sky and stare at the sun. But you, you've seen, at least out of the corner of your eye, our sun. Did you know that our earth, as big as it is, could really, you could take a million of our earths and fit it in the sun. That's how big the sun is. And the sun really isn't the biggest thing in our solar system. A million of our Earths and fitted into the sun. And our one galaxy where this sun exists and the planets has over a hundred billion stars in it. And scientists tell us that there are innumerable galaxies out there. So you've got our little Earth, take a million of those and you have a sun, a small star, a burning mass one of a hundred billion in the galaxy. And then you think, how many galaxies are there? And many scientists will say, innumerable. This is wisdom. Beyond understanding. But speak to this in your heart. Reflect not just on the greatness of the galaxies but on the intricacies of the very cells of your body, how your heart works, your lungs work, how your eyes see. Are you thankful that your eyes see? Every memory that is etched upon your mind, every sight that you've had in the last year has been because of the mercy of creation. God gave you eyes to see the precious face of your kids. This is a mercy this is a faithfulness. You know, sometimes we think, well, God is big. 
And that's what creation is about. It shows his glory. But how, how is it that the psalmist takes five verses to talk about God being merciful because of creation? You know, the Bible actually speaks to God's creation, the things that he's made being a mercy to us. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33. There Moses writing in Deuteronomy 33. We see this. Verse 13. And of Joseph he said, Blessed of the Lord is his land, with the precious things of heaven, with the dew and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months. Now think for just a moment what the Lord is doing there. Boys and girls, what makes the fruit grow on the trees, on the bushes, the grass in your yard? Well, we know that God makes it grow, but how does God make it grow? Well, it needs sunshine, among other things. And here, in Deuteronomy 33, we are told that one of the ways that the Lord puts fruit in our bodies is because He has the sun in the sky. The very sun of which the psalmist praises God for is seen in Deuteronomy 33 as being a mercy to us, a gift, a demonstration of God's faithfulness and His love. One other example, perhaps just a little bit more abstract, but turn over to Acts. Acts, chapter 27. There in verse 20, you remember that Paul was on that final journey at the end of Acts to Rome. And he's on a ship. And boys and girls, they're in a storm. And ships back then, just like ships today, but particularly back then, when the storm was really bad, the ship would rock back and forth. And this wasn't just one day, it was many days. And in Acts 27, verse 20, we read this. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, storm, boys and girls, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Now think about this for just a moment. The believing sailors, like Paul, and the unbelieving sailors, like those guarding him on this boat, what did they long to see in the midst of a horrific storm? The sun. It would mean the end of the storm, but it would also help them. The stars would help them to know how to direct their course. God's creation is pictured in Psalm 136 as an act of God's mercy ultimately to us. We praise God for His mercy, the wisdom and wonder of His creation. Every single aspect of the created order is a gift of God. It shows His goodness. It declares Him to be good and merciful and full of steadfast love. So the psalmist can begin by saying we should thank God because He is good, He is God, He is Master. And then it begins with the story of us all, doesn't it? Creation. Creation. 
But you know, the psalmist doesn't simply say that we are to thank God for His mercy because of creation, but then secondly, we see that we are to thank God for His mercy of redemption. The mercy of redemption. This is the longest portion of the psalm, just like it's the longest portion of the Bible. Creation gets two, maybe three chapters, depending on how you look at it. But the story of God's redemption fills the pages of the Bible, just like it fills the pages of this psalm. Look in verse 10. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. Now, the history of Israel, the people of God in the Old Covenant, and their redemption from Egypt is told. Their placement in a new land, as was promised, is told. God conquering their enemies is told. God giving them a land is told. This is God's old covenant redemption. And the old covenant redemption, boys and girls, God freeing His people, the Hebrews, from Egypt and putting them in the land of Canaan is a picture of a greater freedom that would come to Hebrews and non-Hebrews, Gentiles like most of us who trust in Jesus. The mercy of redemption. Let's look briefly at this. In verses 10 through 24, we see the freedom from slavery in Egypt detailed, for which God is said to be a God of everlasting mercy. The people brought through the Red Sea, and we see God being called the God of everlasting mercy. This would become an image of our being brought out of slavery to sin. Our enemies conquered. God placing us into an eternal land, His kingdom. Just to make the point of that, I want you to note a few things. In Exodus 3.16, at the very beginning of Moses' work, as the one who will go to the people and say, God has sent me to tell you that He's going to bring us out. A refrain begins. I don't want to get into Exodus too quickly, but I can't help myself. A refrain begins. And that is that in several instances, what God does to the old covenant people in freeing them is called a visitation. God is visiting His people. So it's interesting then, that if you turn all the way over to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1, many of you may remember this from years ago when we walked through Luke, but Luke chapter 1, you have several songs or words of prophecy. The song of Mary, Zacharias' prophecy. Notice Luke 1. Boys and girls, the father of John the Baptist says this. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now a Hebrew of Hebrews would know God's visitation was when God freed us from Egypt. And now Zacharias is saying the visitation of our Lord is coming as he sends the one who will be a king from the house of David. 1 Corinthians 10, Jude 5, they both point back to God's freeing his people in Exodus as a reminder 
to Christians of God's freeing work. So I I take the time to point all of that out because you as a Christian, when you read Psalm 136, you don't need to say to yourself, well, verses 10 through 24 don't really apply to me. I'm not a Hebrew. No, the whole Hebrew story was about getting you to Jesus. We praise God. We take the Psalter up in our hands and sing praises to God as those who simply have more revelation than the believing Hebrews of old. That ultimately, the flood... And the family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the nation that God forged with Moses at the helm, the kings, the prophets, they all get us to Jesus, who will be the Savior of His people. For this, the psalmist breaks forth in Psalm and says, let's rehearse our history thus far. God is not only our Creator, He's our Redeemer. His mercy endures forever. Notice, A couple of phrases. Look at verse 12. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. For his mercy endures forever. There God's salvation, boys and girls, is pictured as him taking his own arms and saving his people. Now, those of you that remember your catechism, you know that God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. God doesn't have literal hands. But many times in the Bible... We're given these kinds of pictures because we have hands. And we don't know what it's like to not have hands. And for someone to reach out and to grab us up, this is the picture. So here, God is pictured as if He had hands. As a way of saying, our God has taken His strong arms and saved us. How about Isaiah Chapter 63, another picture of God physically, if you will, bearing our burdens. Isaiah 63, verse 9. Listen to the way that God's mercy is described there. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord. According to all that the Lord has bestowed on us, with the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which He has bestowed on them according to His mercies, according to the multitude of His loving kindnesses, For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. What parent or grandparent in this room What Sunday school or nursery worker in this room doesn't have immediately the picture of picking up a child in the midst of distress? Carrying that child. John Calvin, commenting on this psalm, said this, As it was not intended to recount all the wonders successively done in Egypt, the whole is summed up in one word when it is said that he led his people forth from the midst of it with a mighty and stretched out arm. For pressed down as they were on every side, it was only by a wonderful display of divine power that they could effect an escape. You see, boys and girls, the the Hebrews would never have been able to escape slavery in Egypt. Taskmasters set over them. An unbelieving Pharaoh. But God saved them. And friend, that's a picture 
of what God does for every single Christian who truly is a Christian. A Christian is one who has their heart changed. We are born in this world enslaved not to the Egyptians, but enslaved to sin. Sin rules every fiber of our being. Sin is rebellion against God and His glorious ways, His law, His rules, which are really His goodness given to us to reflect His glory. And we are born enslaved, chained by this sin. And God sent His Son, which we just spent many weeks reflecting upon. The eternal Son of God, truly God, always existing at a moment in time, assumed our flesh and was made like unto us in every way, yet without sin. And He lived a perfect life. The life that we are required to live as God's creatures. And then His fourth decade, He went to the cross. And as He went to the cross, He willingly laid His life down And upon him was not just a crown of thorns and the whip full of glass and broken bone. It wasn't just nails going through his flesh. Upon him was the sin and judgment of everyone who ever trusts in him. The wages of sin, the salary for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And boys and girls, as Jesus hung there, he didn't just suffer physically. He suffered in the agonies of his soul, a separation according to his human nature from God. There he bore our curse and he died. But on the third day he was raised. And with him he has life healing, life giving wings as it were. And all who trust in him have those chains which were forged by our father Adam and our own deeds broken and crushed and life everlasting is given. Friend, what do the Hebrews being freed from Egypt thousands of years ago have to do with you? God is giving you a picture that he will do the same thing for your soul if you are in Christ. He will bring you out of the land of slavery of sin. He will bring you through the waters of rescue. He will place you in a kingdom land and He will seat you at His table with His very temple in the midst. The psalmist of old praises God at every turn for His mercy. Believer, this is your story. Well, quickly, the unfolding story is not just freedom from Egypt, but it's also God keeping his word. God said, enter in the land of Canaan. And I will destroy those who get in your way. I will place you there. So what do we see? Not only does he destroy the enslaver of his people and lead them out, verses 10 through 12. He brings them through the water. Sound familiar? Verses 15 to 22, he continues to provide for them. Some kings are mentioned with funny names. Sihon and Og. You can read of them in Numbers chapter 21. But in 17 through 20, these kings are mentioned that God struck down great kings. He slew famous kings. 
And what the people of God are rejoicing in is that God, by his sheer mercy alone, is to be praised because he's the one who conquered our enemies. Who conquered your sin, believer? It's the living God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just one passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy 29. The psalmist knew his Bible. Because in Psalm, excuse me, Deuteronomy 29, verse 7, we read these words. And when you came to this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, and to half the tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant. The psalmist is simply going back to previous revelation to say this is what God has done. You ever read your Bible this way? You just pick a passage in a a book that you're studying or reading or meditating and you think this is what God has done. His mercy endures forever. He's freed me from my sin. Just pick a verse. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You just stop there in the middle of the verse. His mercy endures forever. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He made Him who knew no sin to what? Be sin for us. That in Him we might be the righteousness of God. His mercy endures forever. Ephesians chapter 2. First three verses lays out your sinful record. And verse 4 says, But God who is what? Rich in mercy. God's mercy has been with you at every step this past year, believer. And if He gives you life and breath tomorrow and all the days called 2024, His mercy will be with you. For He has promised this to you in Christ. And what does the Bible say about the mercy of our God? It is new every. Well, verse 23 finishes the story of the people of God and their redemption, and it says this, who remembered us in our lowly state. God remembered his people in their lowly state. Think about this. The Lord God has been so good to us to think of us in our worst state and to be merciful. God doesn't come and save the upright and the moral. God doesn't come to just take some holy sandpaper and just shave off a few edges of an otherwise perfect statue. No, God has come to the lowliest of sinful creatures, fallen and broken, and remembers us. Think how many times that phrase is used in the Bible, and God remembered Boys and girls, God doesn't forget things. That's a word that's used to show us that God is thinking on things. Psalm 113.7, He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. Well, we've seen the mercy of creation and the mercy of redemption. Lastly, and as we close, let's see in these final verses the mercy of ongoing provision. For this, look at verse 25 who gives food to all flesh, for His mercy endures forever. Sounds a little bit like Psalm 145, verse 15. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. Friend, 
this upcoming year, not one dollar will be earned. Not one morsel of food brought to your lips. Not one sin forgiven. Not one smile of a brother or sister in Christ sent your way without the express will of God. Not a single drop of water. Not a single meal that your children eat. Not a single breath that your child who is getting over an illness takes will happen outside the mercy of God. Do you think about your previous year and your upcoming year in this light? The text says that God is to be thanked for His mercy because He gives food to all flesh. Do your children and grandchildren have food to eat today? If they do, it's a mercy of the living God. Does your spouse... Your family members, do they have life and health and breath in their lungs? If they do, it's a mercy of God. God continues to provide because His mercy endures forever. Once more, John Calvin on this psalm says this. In the close the ending of the psalm. In the close, he speaks of the paternal providence of God as extending not only to all mankind, but to every living creature, suggesting that we have no reason to feel surprise at his sustaining the character of a kind and provident father to his own people. When he condescends to care for the cattle and the asses of the field and the crow and the sparrow, men are much better than brute beasts. And there is a great difference between some men and others, though not in merit. Yet as regards the privilege of the divine adoption, and the psalmist is to be considered as reasoning from the less to the greater and enhancing the incomparably superior mercy which God shows to his own children. Just think on your past 12 months, Christian. Hasn't our God hasn't He been extremely merciful to you? What footstep have you taken this past year for which God was not guiding your path. What footsteps ahead then do you need to lack faith over, thinking that God will not provide? At the end of this year and the beginning of next year, is it ever too repetitive to say over and over and over and over again that the mercy of the Lord endures forever? Here in this psalm, we're given at least three categories of the mercy, the faithfulness, the steadfast love of God, His creation for which He is to be eternally praised, His redemption, which will be the theme of heaven's hymnody, will it not? They sang a new song, worthy is the Lamb. And the mercy of His ongoing provision, every breath, every morsel of food, every dollar in the bank, every smile of a friend, every unexpected gift, every mercy in the midst of extreme suffering. It's all there, and it's all God's mercy surrounding you. 
You think, Christian, that the God who is fitting you for heaven will not be with you in your darkest of temporary moments here? Absolutely not. His mercy endures forever. And if you're not a Christian, ask yourself, the Creator of all things has offered redemption to all who are far from Him. And He says, come without any merit that you earn. Come without money. Without price, come and I will give you life. Hear the lips of Jesus say in John 6, 37, that he will not turn anyone away who comes to him. Will you not come to a God who creates and redeems and then forever provides? Why? Why stay away from such a merciful God? Well, every Lord's Day, not just the last day of the year, is a day to praise and thank God. Because in Christ, chiefly and most greatly, He is to be thanked. Because we see that indeed His mercy endures forever. And when all of the singing of this Lord's Day is through, And your life, if He wills, carries over just a few moments into the next calendar year. The refrain will need be no different. For then, just as is now, His mercy endures forever. Let's pray. Living God, fill our hearts with thanksgiving for Your mercy. Remind us of how your mercy has been there every step of the way. Fill our hearts with thanksgiving and our minds and lips with praise at the God who has redeemed his people. Remind us, particularly when we face moments of doubt and fear, that you will continue to provide. You remembered us in our lowly state. You will continue to give food for our bodies and our souls. We pray for any who are here who do not know this true and living God. We pray that they may receive the sending of His Son, our Savior. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.